Hey everyone, it's Ryan, your host of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. This is a podcast where I sit down with some amazing people from all over the world who have a story to share, experiences we can learn from, and knowledge in areas that we can apply to our lives to help make us happier and overall just better people. Each episode has a different topic with information in all different areas, but each aimed at helping you understand this journey we call life just a little better and from a different perspective. We'll touch on everything from nutrition, mindset, mental health, relationships, to travel and adventure, and much, much more. And I'll even experiment with some advice and information along the way to see how it affects me along my own pursuit of happiness. And don't forget, if you love this episode or any other episode, please subscribe and leave a review so that way I can keep bringing you so many more amazing guests and great content. With that said, welcome to episode number 36, where I get to sit down with Andy and Aaron Kraft of the Lab Rats podcast. I was introduced to them a few months back and realized within just a matter of seconds, okay, hold on, I need to have these guys on an episode And you'll quickly realize I need to have them on multiple episodes. They have so much knowledge in so many great areas that I have interest in and in subjects that I want to cover in future podcast episodes. So I'll be certainly having them back on in future episodes. Their Lab Rats podcast is, I'm going to hijack this right from their website, using their bodies as living laboratories. They search for the optimal methods for maximizing human potential, longevity, and wellness kind of goes hand in hand with the pursuit of happiness in some areas so we jived really well and we actually used this episode to talk all about sleep now that's one thing i know i love you probably love it and do you realize how important it actually is to everything we do everything right off the bat you're about to find out how it affects every single thing you do every day Now, we get into sleep on a surface level, but also somewhat of a scientific level as well. So you have an understanding of how sleep actually works and how you can get better sleep. The great thing about these two guys is obviously not just their knowledge, but the fact that they can give you hacks and how to make your life better. So we spent a lot of this episode talking about how to get better sleep, how to get deeper sleep what sleep trackers they use and how to use them properly, and even more importantly, what to do with the data you get when you wake up. And how many of you out there have a significant other that either runs hot or runs cold, the opposite of what you are, and you can't agree to what the thermostat should be? We actually talk about that, and they give some great advice in what to do with that scenario. And I'll admit, I'm someone who has struggled with deep sleep for quite some time. I'm somewhat of a light sleeper. I hear all the noises that happen throughout the night and I wake up, I toss and turn. So I know I'm not getting the deep sleep that I really need to be getting. So we talk about that. And honestly, we talk about everything. We left no stone unturned. I know I've already talked way too long in this introduction and you guys are just like, let's get going already. But that's how excited I am about this podcast. Aaron and Andy, you guys rock. And here's our conversation. What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing good. Thanks awesome. for uh, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So we have Andy and Aaron from the Lab Rats podcast here today. I'm really excited to have you both. 
where are you both, um, we'll say, calling in from? <laughs> so I am from Aaron. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, me, Andy, I'm from uh, Charlotte. Well, I'm I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Originally up from Indiana, but uh, been living in Charlotte for the past seven years. So okay, yeah, where, okay. where, are you, where are you at? I'm in Raleigh. So I'm like two uh, and a half hours oh, away dude. from you. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> dude, well, hey, that if so I'm cool. over there, we'll, um, we'll get together. Yeah, same here. I've been meaning to go to Charlotte for quite some time now. My best friend used to live there, so I was down there every few months, but he moved to Denver. So it's been a while since I've been to Charlotte. Who knows? Maybe I'll head up a Panthers game. I was going to try yeah. to go to a Panthers game last year, but you know, no one was really right. allowed. So, so forget it. Yeah. Hopefully there's more going on this year. What brought you down to Charlotte? Um, the weather, I guess. I uh, I went to school up in Michigan, and then uh, my fiance at the time, wife now, we were just looking to to go somewhere new. And the uh, the I work for a an accounting firm, and they had a, a location and an opening in Charlotte, and we thought sounds like a cool city, let's do it. So we kind of just went for it. Didn't know anyone here, and have been here ever since. You enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, I mean, tra- traffic's getting worse as the city it gets is bigger, but it is what it is. And so is uh, the housing market and everything. It's just oh, going it's crazy. Indianapolis is probably the same too, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 crazy. We fortunately just bought a house actually like right before all of the like lockdowns started. We closed on a house like right like literally that week, and it was it was a challenge to find a house then. And it's it's still bad a year later. Yeah, it's crazy. I moved into my house two months before a lockdown. Okay. So I got it before the market was absolutely insane. And then yeah. what was really nice is to be locked down at a brand new house where it's like, well, all right, it's cool. Cause I got a lot of crap to do anyway. Yeah, so right. that worked out really well. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that is good. Uh, my wife and I are trying to buy a house now, which is the absolute worst time, but we're, uh, we're expecting our first child. Congrats. So, um, thank you. Thanks. We're, we're real excited. So that's, he, he's coming in November and we're just in a town home right now and we just need a little more, more space. And so we're just, yeah, I guess we're going to have to have to buy at the, uh, the peak of the market, but it, again, it is what you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're having, you're having a kid. I mean, that's, you know, it's worth it. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I got to ask you guys, uh, Indianapolis Colts fans or. Uh, I'm yeah. a huge Colts fan. Yeah. 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 Cause I'm, I'm a huge Broncos fan actually. So uh, thank you nice. for, thank you for Peyton. Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Had a few nice years with them. Yeah. We were I still. We're still Peyton fans, though, after, you know, like when he when he went to, to the Broncos, we were still following him and rooting for him. So how can you not be? He just mm-hmm. seems like a good dude. He left. I mean, you guys got rid of him. You know, he didn't just peace out on you guys. So, yeah, right. I miss him big time. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've, clearly we can talk sports. But at the same time, you guys have a podcast I was introduced to. Uh, a couple months ago um, by someone I did a podcast with last year. And he's like, these guys are awesome. I think you'll like them. And I started to follow you guys on Instagram. I started to listen to some of your clips and some of your podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, this is like everything that I'm interested in. <laughs> like everything I'm not getting. Because a lot of these, what I do is when I come up with an idea for the subject for my podcast, I, I write it down and put it in my notes. And you guys have hit almost every one of them that I want to talk about. I was like, all right, cool. This You guys have the knowledge in areas that I really want to know more about. So yeah, the first thing some, I did. No, yeah, I, was, yeah, I was rolling through your episodes and you have some like great topics, like really like interesting stuff. 
I, I appreciate that. I try to keep it interesting. And I feel like there's just honestly just so much to learn from different people and different perspectives. And you guys have knowledge, like I said, in areas that I really want to know more about. And it was really hard to pick just one subject for this podcast. So hopefully we can do this again sometime in the future because I will keep picking your brains on different subject after different yeah. subject because you guys have a lot of information and, and areas that I'm super interested in. That's just beneficial to everyone. I mean, a lot of it's like hot topics and buzzwords that we hear a lot about. We just don't know about. And you guys actually really dive deep and break it down. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I know that's that's actually kind of what, you know, got us into all this. Um, as you know, we see all these clickbait headlines and mm -hmm. no one really knows if like there's actually evidence to support that. People just say, oh, well, I read this article that, you know, this this is you know well, this is the deal on whatever, and so that that's frustrating. I think for people you know like you and us that are are really you know care about bettering ourselves, mm -hmm. not only physically but you know, um, you know mentally, uh, yeah, nu nutritionally, and you just you don't know like where to get good information, and so that's that's actually why we started the podcast. We're like let's let's break some of these things down and like see what what studies, what research have been done on these things, and then let's experiment on ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. it's a you know an N of two, so it's a it's a small sample group. But like, really, when it comes down to a lot of these things, it is very personalized. It it varies. You know, some things vary from person to person, and you know sometimes you just need to experiment. So that's kind of what you know where um where we we got the idea to to do this and it's it's, it's been fun. We we've, we've learned a lot throughout the process. I love that cuz that's what my podcast is kind of about is taking knowledge that these people are giving me and try to apply it to my life and see if it works for me, it doesn't work for me and report back either way, you know, let the people know how I felt or um, I've had a few instances like that, uh, like uh, like the juicing cleanse. Um, yeah. That was a rather interesting few days of my life. But mm -hmm. um, Did you do fasting? I saw you had a fasting episode. Have you done that? So I do intermittent fasting almost daily for the most part. I usually do about a 16 and 8, but you know I could be loose with it sometimes. Um, I've never done the full day. Um, like last week, I was on vacation for a week, so I can't say I did much fasting then. Um, because, you know, I just want to, you know, enjoy food and, you know, breakfast and brunch and whatnot. Right, so I right. can't say I stuck with the fasting too much then, but for the most part, I do do fasting and I've had really positive results. Good. Do you, do you do fasting at all? Yeah, I try. I mean, I recently kind of switched cause now I've, I'm trying to, uh, get stronger for, for, uh, CrossFit. So like I've been eating okay. a lot more, but I try to keep it in like a eight to 10 hour window generally. And then yeah, I've done we, like, go ahead. Eric. Yeah, I was just gonna say we we did we've experimented with like a few different types. Like Andy, you've done probably more than I have. I think he did a, like a full five day fast, twenty four hour day fast, and then intermittent fasting windows. And I think Andy, you probably stuck with it for quite like you were doing pretty strict intermittent fasting for quite a while, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. And then it kind of just got normal. I've probably gone off a little bit, like if I can't, just depending on the day, you know, you have days that are just busier and you can't, you, you got to. Exactly. I, 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 I still want to get my calories in. So mm -hmm. um, sometimes I got to go outside the windows, but yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome stuff. 
No, it's really good. I mean, obviously, that's one we can dive into more. Yeah, sorry, I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to take us off the rails. No, <laughs> by all means. I mean, you guys are showing your breadth of knowledge here, and I love it because I can talk about this stuff all day. We can probably have a five-hour podcast oh, and I'll still, I be, yeah. still be learning from both of you. Um, so before we go too far down the road, I just want to inform the listeners, we are talking about sleep in this episode. I picked that one. This was one I've wanted to do for quite some time. I've had my ups and downs with sleep myself, and there's a lot of different articles and, I don't know, information out there, and I really wanted to talk to both of you about sleep and how important it is, and I don't know, maybe some of the misinformation that's out there as well. Um, I'm really excited to dive deep on this, but before we get started with that, I'm curious to know, where's a place where you guys get your information from is there a source or two or anything you find reputable that's a yeah that's a good question um we yeah we have like a few people that we follow that we you know kind of trust their um a lot their due diligence and their research uh rob wolf is someone who you know we really respect in the nutrition community and he was actually on our podcast which was crazy um because he's uh kind of a well-known name in in the paleo community i would say okay and uh we had we had the privilege of sitting down with him um chris cresser is another good one uh chris master john um mark (coughs) sorry mark hyman he's another he's uh actually leads up the center for functional medicine in at the the cleveland clinic so uh yeah he he really knows his stuff so all of them like put out you know they have their books podcasts Mm-hmm. um blogs things like that but and then you know kind of like learning from then we've we've been able to kind of go straight to the source so a lot of times we'll you know go look at the journals themselves like you know the n- nutrition and, and um you know biology journals and and kind of see what new studies are coming out you know on a weekly monthly basis and uh have been able to kind of dig into those which um it's time consuming, but it is, it is fun once you kind of take some real, uh, like life, um, th- things that you can apply to your life right away. Exactly. It, it's exciting. It yeah, is. The, it, sorry. I was going to say that one of the, like our, our probably top resources that we, it's probably easiest for like your average person, just like looking for different types of like fitness news, health news. We try to avoid things like just Apple news and Google news. They, they pull in from, um, not the best sources, but mm-hmm. one that is a pretty solid kind of uh, collaboration of good recent studies is called Science Daily. So okay. that's something we kind of we look at like on a daily basis. We're re- reading headlines from there. So that's, that's one of our top sources yeah. for quality information based upon like the most recent studies. Yeah, they, they yes. all pull from they don't just pull from, you know, trends or or uh, clickbait headlines that they're pulling from, you know, peer reviewed journals um in in these different aspects of uh of you know life like health and wellness so that's a great source all right so not the national inquirer we can go ahead and cross them off the <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay no i mean that's good to know because it's you know for people who's looking for their own information you just gave a really good few examples of where you get your from i'm familiar with chris Cresser in some of his books i've listened to some of his podcasts he's very mm-hmm. uh, knowledgeable so that, that's a great name to yeah. throw out there um all right let's get to it let's get to the topic of sleep and i feel like people know this is important but 
they don't know how important it actually is. So what would you say on a scale of one to 10, how important sleep is to our daily lives? We we love sleep. This is one of our favorite things to talk about. And it's so hard to not like make this the first priority. Like, I mean, I, I can't almost not say 10 here. Like 10 is, it's so important. Um, obviously everything's important. It's important to move every day, to eat, you know, real whole foods every day. But if, even if you do those things, but you're not sleeping well, your health can be in, in just terrible condition. So it is extremely important. And unfortunately, like you alluded to this is that people don't, um, they know it's like they should get, you know, the eight at prescribed eight hours, but they don't really put in the effort towards it. And in some cases, in some parts of society, this is something Andy and I experienced when we're working in, in the corporate world is sometimes sleep is like associated with laziness even, mm-hmm. which is a very unfortunate connection because it's, it's not that at all. Um, sleep is extremely important. And um, yeah, we, we love this topic. And I, I'd say, I don't know, Andy, would you agree if it, I, I put it definitely at a 10 for me? Yeah. Yeah. I know it's hard not to say 10. I really do think that it is kind of the foundation to everything else. Yes. I mean, for your physical fitness, if you're not getting sleep, you're you're going to have an increased risk of injury. You're going to have a you know, decrease in, in sports performance. Um, uh, d- deep sleep is one of the only times where our bodies uh, naturally produce human growth hormone, which is really important for muscle growth, muscle repair, tendon growth, tendon repair. And so if you're not, you could be working out and you know, when you're exercising, you're tearing muscles. And if you're not sleeping to recover, you're just you're you're going to be subpar. Um, and then with nutrition, I mean, when you're not getting enough sleep, your your hunger hormones are all out of whack. Um, your your blood glucose is gonna is gonna fluctuate a lot more, and these things can lead to weight gain and and heart health. It's it's been lack of sleep has been associated with uh, you know neurological decline and, and very you know heavily uh, associated with Alzheimer's disease. So there's like, there's really almost no part of your body that is spared when you don't get enough sleep. And it's, it's, it's sad because it's, it's probably that one thing where all of us push it to the side, especially when we are in busy phases of life. And look, there's some, some areas where you just can't, like, I'm probably going to experience when I have a a kid, you know, new parents, like there's nothing you can do about that. But, Mm -hmm. um, I think like Aaron said, a lot of times it's associated with laziness, especially in like the corporate world, the corporate culture, um, you know, if you're only getting a few hours of sleep a night because you're so busy working, like that's that's to be praised. But really, like that is just wrecking your brain and your body. And um, there's there's no way around it. You can't eat or exercise your way out of a, a bad night of sleep. I think one of the most interesting studies, like the one that was most eye-opening for me around sleep is they, this, uh, I don't know how many participants were in this specific study, but they, they took a group of like healthy people. They didn't have any underlying conditions. And the only thing that they changed in their life is they, they, they deprived them of sleep for seven days. So just one week. And each night these participants could only sleep four hours. So four hours every night for seven nights. And, and before the start of this, they had no health issues. They were perfectly healthy. But within just seven days of getting only four hours of sleep, every single one of them was pre-diabetic at that point. 
they didn't tweak their nutrition at all. They did not tweak their fitness at all. They only changed their sleep. And like, it was that devastating within just seven days. And that, that study to me was the most convincing at how, how drastic it can impact your health. Wow. This is fantastic stuff. Cause I feel like you guys are going to give some nuggets and some knowledge here that people can just tweak to their life, mm-hmm. make quite a bit of a difference. I mean, just seven days mm-hmm. pre-diabetic, yeah. that's no it's joke. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you said their, their bodies like weren't they weren't able to after that they weren't able to handle like just a standard dose of, of glucose. Like after that, like yeah. their their blood their blood sugar spiked and then tanked, um, like a pre diabetic would. And that was just after yeah, seven nights. That's crazy. All right. So I'm obviously you've said a ten from one to ten, and we can see why already. We haven't even dove deep into this yet. Now I know you said eight hours. Where did that number come from? Is that BS? Does that still stand today? Because I feel like there's a lot of things that we were taught as kids growing up that just have been completely debunked now, a la the food pyramid and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So I'm wondering about this whole eight hour rule. Is that legit still? Like, where did that come from? Fortunately, it is pretty close to being like that's if people were getting eight hours, that would be excellent. Like that is a pretty good standard in general, like looking just at the population if you fall like seven to nine hours is really kind of the range where most people should fall. Everybody's different. Everybody needs different sleep. But in general, most people, if they get within that range, they're going to be healthy. Basically where that number came from is that there's been, I mean, thousands of studies done on sleep and they look at, at what point do people start getting diseases and, and uh, cognitive decline and diabetes? Like at what point do these issues start kicking in? And basically what they found over thousands and thousands of studies is if you get seven hours of sleep, that's when some issues start kicking in. But then when you get six hours or less, that's when really more serious issues like like severe cognitive decline, that's a, less than six hours a night is associated, strongly associated with Alzheimer's. So basically looking at at what point do you become unhealthy? And that's mm. very unhealthy at six hours, unhealthy at seven. But if you can get over that seven threshold, then most of those health concerns kind of disappear. Now, how do you know if you're getting enough? What are like the, some of the telltale signs or maybe one of the, some of the signs that people aren't recognizing? Yeah, that's a good question. <clears throat> um, I, think, I think there's a few different ways to tell. Um, one is just based, like simply based on feeling. Like, how do you feel when you get up? Are you struggling to get out of bed every morning? Like, when your alarm goes off, are you, do you just like despise that time and just want to go back to sleep and hit the snooze button 10 times? Like, are you, is it hard for you to get out of bed? Like if, if that's you every single morning, that's probably one sign that you need to be getting a little bit more sleep. There's a reason your body doesn't want to get out of bed. It, it needs more sleep. Um, same thing if like in the evening or in the afternoon, if you can't get through the day without, without crashing without needing, you know, a second or third or fourth cup of coffee, without taking a nap, like if you just can't get to the end of the day without feeling that grogginess, that's that's just another just general sign that okay, you your body's not getting enough sleep. You can't even get through a full day without all of this fatigue. Now, there's tons of other things that can be an issue here with fatigue. Um, but sleep is is go ahead, Andy. No, yeah, I was going to say some other signs, I think, like that I've noticed for me is mental clarity. 
Like mm-hmm. if I don't get good sleep, I just I'm pretty bad at articulating thoughts. And mm-hmm. it sometimes will just take me a lot longer to solve a problem. Um, so I think mental clarity is, is big. And you really don't notice it until you actually go back to getting sleep. You think that this is just how I operate, you know, on, on six hours, I'm fine. But then you actually get eight, seven or eight hours for a couple of weeks. And your mind is just so much more clear. You can like you're faster at like writing up an email or or just putting your thoughts on paper or solving problems. So mental clarity is big. Um, anxiety too. A lot of uh, people have uh, have increased anxiety if they're only getting you know six hours of sleep per night. And I know that I just feel more stressed and anxious if I'm only getting four or five hours, which doesn't happen often. But um, yeah, and then you know fatigue. I think you'll notice that in your workouts and food cravings is another one that I think a lot of people probably miss. Um, like I like I had mentioned earlier, the our our hormones, our hunger hormones are are really impacted heavily by by our lack of sleep. So there's there's a a deep when we don't get enough sleep, when we're only getting five or six hours of sleep per night, there's a decrease in the hormone leptin which is the hormone that tells us we're full. That's the, the hormone that says stop eating. And then there's a decrease in the hormone ghrelin, and that's the hunger hormone. So basically, you're, you're never fully... In- increase in ghrelin, right? Yeah, an increase in ghrelin. So your body's telling you that you're, you're more hungry than you actually are. And then there's a decrease in leptin, which is telling you you're full. So you're not getting the signal that you're full. And then when you're sleep-deprived, your prefrontal cortex which is the part of the brain that's responsible for rational decision-making starts shutting down. So you're, you're actually more likely to make more uh, poor food choices. So your brain is telling you that you're not full, tells you to keep eating and, and you biologically have less willpower to choose healthy food or junk food. And people may just be living that way and not know it, know, know that that their you know, their constant cravings and, and never feeling full could be due to sleep deprivation. Mm. I never would have guessed that. That's yeah. you guys have already shown a link of what how sleep really affects every decision mm-hmm. you make yeah, it's throughout crazy. the entire day. It is crazy. Holy cow. Like I knew it was important. You guys have already blown my mind so far already. And I'm trying to take we talked about before we just we started recording this podcast about how we like to apply a lot of these things to our lives. Mm-hmm. Um so let's look at my night's sleep for the most part. I usually I'll tell you what I do before bed, which I know you guys are going to call me for. But um, so I wake up probably two or three times a night to turn over and kind of fall back asleep. Do you still consider that as part of like eight hours of sleep? Or do you feel like there's an issue there? I'm getting interrupted from something. Like, how do I fix that? Do you have any idea? So, yeah, that that would be. You, you wouldn't be, you know, that one wouldn't be quantifiable sleep at that point or, or it'd be much lighter sleep. So when you calculate how many hours you've slept, typically for most people, you need to knock off like 15% of that time because you're not sleeping. Like, let's say I go to bed at 11 or fall asleep at 11 and wake up at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Like that is technically seven hours. Um, but you you wake up, like you said, you wake up, toss and turn in the middle of the night. And you go into these very, very light stages of sleep throughout the night. So for your average person, let's say I am asleep for seven hours, you're usually only sleeping 85% of that time, 
which mm -hmm. ends up being less than six hours. So mm -hmm. whatever you calculate your time in bed, knock off 15% of that time. And that's a closer estimate of how much time you like you truly are asleep. Now, should my goal be to have a deeper sleep from that time span or to get to bed earlier and lengthen that window? What's, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, both. I mean, we're always, we're always talking about how can we increase our sleep efficiency so that, so that we can stay in bed for less time, but still get, you know, more sleep because, mm -hmm. you know, nobody wants to spend 10 hours in bed, but like sometimes if you, if you're really, you have really poor sleep efficiency, you may do need to be in bed 10 hours to get eight hours of actual sleep. And I mean, yeah, there are, there are different ways to increase sleep efficiency. It's, you know, it's different for everyone. I mean, number one, the, the, one of the big things that a lot of people have that they don't know is sleep apnea. If they lay on their back with their, um, their mouth open, sometimes the tongue falls in, you know, into the back of their throat and it blocks off an airway. And then mm -hmm. you kind of gasp awake and you may not even know it. Like our, our dad had sleep apnea for years and he was just always tired. And, um, you know, it turns out he was waking up. It was, it was something crazy. Like how many times a night was he, he, up? They, he did a sleep study. Yeah, it was like it was, 50 was, plus times per night or something. Yeah. He was oh, wow. Without knowing. And so th that's a big one, sleep apnea. So, you know, if you wake up feeling terrible all the time, no matter how long you're in bed, you know, you can get a request a sleep study from your doctor and, and they'll monitor you for a night of sleep and they'll put, you know, they'll put, um, I think like a, a EEG on you. I don't know. They'll, they'll look at to see if, if you're not breathing. Um, I mean, a couple of things for me that has helped with efficiency is temperature. So a lot of us, um, you know, I mean, we like to be warm when we go to sleep, which is normal, but generally like if we have a decrease in body temperature before we go to bed, like we would, if we were sleeping outside, as the sun goes down, you know, we get cooler, our body temperature goes down a little bit and that actually triggers melatonin production and tells us that it's time to go to bed hmm. and it's part of, you know, regulating our circadian rhythm. And so if your, you know, AC and heat are great, you know, in our, on our modern world, but if we never, uh, reduce our temperature or we're just always warm all the time, we never really get that temperature trigger that it's time to go to bed. So in the evening, I, you know, I try to turn down the temperature in my room. Um, that is a little tough if you have a, a spouse or significant other, because <laughs> not everyone likes to, you know, be freezing at 65 degrees, but that will like. Okay. kind of cool you down a little bit and then this is an expensive hack but um there's something <laughs> called a chili pad and it is a mattress pad you, you know you, you put it under your sheet and it actually filters water through these tubes in the pad and it keeps the water cool so you can actually set the temperature from either i think 55 degrees all the way up to like 115 degrees and so that keeps you cool all throughout the night and that can drastically increase your deep sleep. Um, it's expensive. I think like a half queen is like five or 600 bucks, but, um, and the newer versions are a little, I think even a little more expensive, but you can control it on your phone and you can actually set like a, a heat alarm so that you're either, as opposed to being woken up by a sound, you're woken up by heat, which is, you know, generally if like we were outside and the, and the sun came up, I mean, I guess the light would wake us up in that case, but, um, but it's just a more natural way to, to wake up. So all that is to say is like temperature is another big one that can, can increase your, your sleep. If you lower the temperature, that may increase your, your deep sleep and help you stay asleep throughout the night. So is that what you sleep at 65 degrees? 
Um, I'm like about 68. Okay. Yeah, ideally, you it's between like 60, like where people find the, the best sleep in, in cool temperatures is between like 63 and 68. Um, I, I sleep at 68 as well. Nice. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it is hard if you, if you have a, a spouse or a significant <laughs> other who doesn't like that. Um, fortunately, we get along with a, a 68 degree and have agreed on that. But yeah, un, under 68 is kind of the ideal temperature. I've had at least one husky in my household for the last 16 years. So now I have two. So my house is always in the 60s. I get yelled oh, at. And, okay. and even in the winter, I got the windows open a little bit. I get yelled at for that. Okay. But, um, just a random question. Do you guys have any tips or tricks on sleeping with a significant other mm. uh, as far as one liking it a little warmer than the other? That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, the chili pad, I would say with that, is really good for temperature because you can have two halves or, or okay. if you just get one for yourself and you can just maintain your your temperature like my wife likes it really warm where i like it cold and so mm-hmm. so that is really helpful um aaron anything yeah, so else we, for you we just use different we use different sheets because like my wife likes to i mean it's it's summer right now i mean basically summer it's like 90 degrees during the day and it doesn't mm-hmm. get uh cool at night anymore and she still likes to have a sheet on a, like a uh, middle sheet or whatever and a comforter and i'm like i just a sheet and i'll be sweating <laughs> so we just have our own like on each side we have our own our own sheets and that that kind of fixes the problem for the most part do you feel that men run warmer in general i mean i feel I like think so yeah. yeah in my yeah. experience that's always been the case like all of the females in our family are always cold and warm like need blankets and sweaters and all the guys are have their shirts yeah. off and <laughs> yeah right. it, it seems to be a, a male and female thing while we're going down this road have you guys done any research or read any research as far as someone who sleeps solo compared to sleeping next to a significant other and how much that kind of impacts someone's sleep i i remember reading something i, I nothing off the top of my head i don't want to quote anything but it does. It there were oh, it was something about uh, having a pet in your room. Is what it was. It was a study. Just it was yeah. Having... They were looking at kids like um, kids that slept with pets in their bed. Oh, and... but that did not cause issues, right? No, no, no. That yeah, study. it didn't. Basically, it said like the kids that sleep with pets, like pets, don't disrupt their sleep. They still get the same quality of sleep. Yeah. Weird, wow. weird study. I don't know, but um, and I don't remember the specifics on that. But that's what I remember. That was the conclusion. Is like kids that sleep with pets don't have disrupted sleep from sleeping with pets. Okay. I wouldn't have guessed that because when I first got my, my first dog, I was 22 years old. Um, I used to let her sleep on my bed, but because she was a Husky, she'd get warm and move around and move around and move around and constantly wake me up. I was like, I can't do this anymore. So that's not the experience I had. Yeah, I know (laughs) it probably, I I wonder if what kind of dogs that they use in the study. Yeah, exactly. Personally, I don't, I don't, agree with that i have two goldens and same thing they're like they'll get hot so they move it to like one area where it's a little bit cooler and then a few like a few hours later they'll move around they're always up like clicking around and they sleep in our room still but it definitely <laughs> it hurts my sleep but it's a sacrifice <laughs> i'm taking so i'm not i'm not married but i do have a girlfriend who stays over consistently and we have three dogs between all of us and oh, she's wow. like oh come on it's cute to put them on the bed and i'm <laughs> right. like no i need to sleep plus yeah. i'm not i'm not vacuuming that freaking hair off my bed yeah. either so that's a problem in itself so two huskies um, and then what's the third one part husky so okay, wow. cool. yeah he, he's a bigger boy too so nice. yeah it's a, it's a full house by all means <laughs> mm-hmm. um 
So you brought up nutrition uh, a few times. Just curious, um, what are your thoughts on food before bed and perhaps like when we should do a cutoff? And is there anything that you have researched that benefits sleep as far as eating before bed? Yeah, um, generally, so I, I kind of depends on the person, but I, but with sleep generally, like cutting it off like two to three hours before bed seems to work pretty well, which is tough because I think, you know, it's common to snack late into the evening. Like people, you know, people are, are relaxed in the evening, so they just resort to, to snacking. And if you eat, especially something big before bed, you know, you lay down and then you can have indigestion, which can can keep you awake that can disrupt sleep. And then while you're laying there trying to sleep, your body's busy digesting food. So you may not go into a, a deeper state of sleep. Um, you know, light snacking is probably fine. Um, but yeah, I try to cut off food two to three hours, depending on my day. I mean, like some days I, I just can't, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was an interesting study that I, I read off the, off the Senate to you. It basically looked at like different combinations of meals before bed. And I, I don't know, I think, I don't know how close to bed these meals were, but mm-hmm. there was some evidence showing that like higher, higher protein, like some people may sleep better or deeper having that last meal of the day be higher in protein. And there may be some people that, that sleep better with carbs. Like the thing about protein is that um, it, it has the amino acid tryptophan and a lot of sleep supplements actually contain tryptophan. So when you consume protein, you know, your, your body breaks down amino acids and one of those is tryptophan and your body needs tryptophan for serotonin production and melatonin production. So serotonin production helps with like mood regulation and um, sleep and wake regulation and then melatonin as we talked about is, is the body sleep hormone and that helps us stay drowsy. So, um, so that, that's actually why like after a big Thanksgiving meal, like you have a lot of Turkey, Turkey has a lot of tryptophan in it or, or your body breaks down the protein resulting in a lot of tryptophan. And, um, that's why you get like drowsy after a big Thanksgiving meal. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so there are some people that, that actually sleep better or get real drowsy after having a a high protein meal. Again, I think you probably want to, to keep the meals, um, two to three hours before bed. But, um, yeah, I I would experiment with it, like high carb versus protein and, and how you sleep. That actually is a great experiment to have. Cause like you said, everybody's a little different and we just talked about that. I do fasting. So I'm not really eating a lot before bed. Um, was just kind of wondering if you had an opinion or knowledge on the area, whether I would sleep better if I am fasting on an empty stomach or if I did just eat, maybe if I would be a little more full and sleep well. So, yeah, yeah. I think it kind of just depends on the person and that's where like experimenting comes in. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Okay. And I'll definitely do that. Now we've talked about stages of sleep. If you can explain what stages of sleep there are. Yeah, so the, the main stages is, is light sleep, deep sleep, and, and REM sleep. And just in general, like throughout the night, we're going, our, our brain is basically going through like these different stages in cycles. So we have basically 90 to 120 minute cycles that we go through those three different stages. Um, and 
during the like beginning cycles of, of those sleep so earlier in the night we tend to spend more of our time in deep sleep and then in the later cycles so more towards morning is when we spend more time in REM that's why like when you wake up in the morning you typically remember that's that's when you wake up and remember a dream it's typically morning it's not typically the middle of the night we spend more time in REM later in the night but basically we go through these cycles um four to five times a night and it starts out in light sleep which light sleep is basically just you know the the first quantifiable stage of sleep Our, our brain activity is slowing down our heart rate is slowing down and light sleep is where we spend roughly 50 percent of our night sleep on average it depends on the person but we typically spend about 50 percent of our night in light sleep and then there's deep and rem um any do you want to you want to take those yeah so so deep sleep um it's, it's also called slow wave sleep because that's when our brain produces the slowest brain waves it slows way down and um the the purpose of that is so that you don't wake up it's hard to wake people uh, up in the middle of the night when it's when they're in deep sleep because your um your external sensory stimulation has been turned off and our temperature declines our heart rate decreases and yeah like like aaron said this occurs generally in the in the early parts of the of the night and during deep sleep like i mentioned earlier it's that that one part of the night where your body produces human growth hormone which is super important for tissue growth and repair muscle and bone growth um you so you need that for recovery so getting adequate deep deep sleep is really important and um most people spend between 15 to 25 percent in deep sleep and then and then you move into rem and um rem is it's weird. It's it's also called paradoxical sleep because um, your your brain is very active, but your body is is actually paralyzed, and you know that's where we do all of our dreaming. Um, and they're still trying to figure out like what does the purpose? What is the purpose of dreams? Like why does our body, like why does our brain, you know, produce these weird images throughout the night while we're sleeping? And it's thought that REM helps us process um emotions and and memories and then there's actually a recent study that just came out that that looked at how uh dreams help you anticipate future events by taking like past memories so like if you have like a let's say you have like a speaking speaking gig coming up like your brain is trying to to prepare for that event by putting together pieces from past memories and it's just it's weird there's they're always like doing more research on on REM sleep, but yeah, it's thought that it's really important for um, processing emotions and, and memory. And then you just, you basically just cycle through those four or five times each night. Wow. I never thought about that as far as dreams go. I, I wonder, do you think we'll ever figure that out? What dreams actually mean? I think maybe once we get Elon Musk's Neuralink in our, <laughs> you know, in our head, in our heads, then yeah. um, all our dreams will be like projected and then we can try to decipher them. How crazy would that be if you wake up and you can kind of replay all of yeah. your dreams? That's wow, got to be like be a Black insane. Mirror episode, right? Wow. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I, wow, I never thought of that. So one of the subjects I kind of want to talk to you about is one of my favorite things in the world to do is to take a nap. Um, yeah. I know you guys talked about this previously, but I would love to hear your input and opinion as far as naps go. Um 
there could be a couple examples. There's one, if I am getting enough sleep, but I just want to take a nap anyways, and or two, if I'm not getting enough sleep, but I try to make up with it with mm-hmm. a nap in the afternoon. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think they can be good. Um, it kind of really depends on your situation. Obviously, like the first benefit of taking a nap is that it's going to reduce your your sleepiness, um, especially for those with like shorter or abnormal sleep cycles. Uh, like there was a study done where they looked at shift workers who were working third shift and, and you know, who napped. And then obviously when they napped during their waking hours, they were more alert, more more awake than those who, who didn't nap. Um, that seems obvious, but that's one case where I think taking that makes sense. If you're just in a situation where, for instance, like, uh, new parents, or if you do work third shift, um, you're in a situation where you just can't get enough sleep, then yes, like a nap, um, is beneficial. It's not a waste of time to take a nap. Obviously it's better to get that all in one sitting. If you can, you don't want to supplement or you don't want to, um, get, six to you know six to seven hours intentionally because you can nap 30 minutes later um but even like if you do get enough sleep there is some interesting research that's been done on napping as it relates to like um learning capacity so there's there's been a couple studies around this and the one i'm thinking of i think they they took two groups of people all right-handed and they had all of them in the morning practice writing with their left hand and you know obviously they were both both groups were bad at it well then like a few hours later one group half the group took a 60 to 90 minute nap and then tried the skill again the other group just stayed awake for eight hours and then they they repeated the task at eight hours and the group that took the nap had significant improvements um in in writing with their left hand their non-dominant hand after having taken a nap so they think that um it could have something to do with like memory consolidation uh, especially as it relates to like task learning um there was another study where they did something similar and i I can't remember the exact task they were doing but it was a memory-based task and again they had a group um they had two groups do it in the morning and then one group napped one group didn't nap and then at the end of the day like eight hours later um, they repeated that this memory task and those that took a nap w- w- performed much better. So mm-hmm. somehow sleeping allows your body to like consolidate and, and recall memories better. So, so it does have benefits. I think if you can, um, if you, if it's in your schedule, like you're able to fit it in, then I think, uh, yeah, it does, it does have benefits. And I think, you know, there are people that probably it makes more sense for like those who are sick, either like an acute illness, cold, or like a chronic illness, um, night workers, you know, uh, or, you know, creators like, you know, yourself, you just need a midday cognitive boost. I mean, mm-hmm. taking a nap can, can help with that. So yeah, I think <clears throat> just as long as, you know, you're not using naps as a reason to not get good sleep at night. Or I think another uh, reason to avoid napping is if, if you enjoy taking naps and if you take one in the middle of the day and then because of that nap, you go to bed later than you normally mm-hmm. would. If basically if it's interfering with your sleep, if because of that nap, you're not sleeping as well as you would if you had not taken the nap, that's probably a reason to maybe not, not take the nap. If it interferes yeah. with your, you know, a chunk of eight hours at night. 
That makes a lot of sense. And I know, uh, Andy, you just mentioned something about a 60 to 90 minute nap. Is there kind of a sweet spot as far as like how long a nap can go? Because I'm pretty sure we've all taken a nap and that went way longer than we expected. And you wake up and you're groggy and you're just like, yeah, I might yeah. need a shot. I'm not moving. So Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I think when you're napping, you, you want to avoid going into deep sleep, um, which you may get into if you get into to that, you know, two hour those two hour naps i think you're going to get into deep sleep and then when you wake out of if you wake up right out of deep sleep you're going to feel super groggy and so um it's called sleep inertia so you will kind of want to avoid that um which if you're sleep deprived most naps probably you wake up feeling like that but yeah i think i think keeping it probably in the 30 to 60 minute range you can you can avoid that and, w- and wake up out of uh, light sleep or out of REM sleep and you can get to it pretty quickly. Okay. So the term power nap is actually kind of seems like a real thing. Yeah. Okay. It is. Here's a, here's a random question. that was definitely not on your outline. I just thought of is we've all had those moments where we're probably a passenger in a car or an airplane or something like that. And we fall asleep really fast and we wake up with our head snap or whatever. Like, but sometimes I actually think like I have like a 30 second dream or something like that when I wake up, oh, what's going on there? Do you have any idea? Yeah. I mean, I know that I don't know what's happening with the brain, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe you remember this. It's called a hypnic jerk and it like happens right as your body is falling asleep it has something to do with your, your brain waves trying to transition from awake to asleep. I don't know, Aaron, do you have, yeah, anymore. no, I mean, no, that's, yeah, that's what it is. It's either called, a, sometimes it's called a sleep start or a hypnic jerk. And sometimes it can be like that feeling of falling. It can be, mm-hmm. in some cases, it's like a, a blinding light for people or a loud noise, or sometimes it's even a hallucination. These are different types of hypnic jerks, but they've studied this and they, there is really no like known reason for what causes these at this point. I mean, like many things with sleep, it's it, that, that is a mystery. They know what it is. They know that it exists. But um, why we do it, it's kind of unknown. Um, it is exasperated with things like like caffeine. Um, if you're stressed out, okay. if you had di- just done like a, an intense exercise, like these, those are kind of stimulants and it can kind of increase the likelihood of those. But as for the reason, it's um, as of now, it's, it's unknown. Also with light too, that, that's what gets it for me is, yeah, you mentioned a plane. I do that all the time. Like I'll be sitting next to a stranger and I just like jerk, like violently jerk away. And like everyone looks at me like, did he just have a seizure? Then, you know, you look and, around and you're like, I hope nobody saw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's just acting like they didn't see it. But um, <laughs> what I've noticed is actually it's triggered by light for me. Like if I nap during the day, it happens all the time. If I try to nap in a plane where there's lots of lights or in a car. And so I have a sleep mask and it goes away when I use a sleep mask. Oh, okay. Um, so th- there's um there's a couple good ones. I mean, you can get sleep masks for like twenty bucks on Amazon. Uh, the Mindfold is one that I have. The uh, the Manta, right? That's yeah, another one, yeah. Aaron. M um, A N T A. Both are good masks, and like they're making them a lot more comfortable now with like eye cutouts, and it's like soft. Like you can actually sleep with it on. Like I'll I'll put it on sometimes in my bedroom if like there's there's like a light bothering me or, or I t- definitely take it with me when I travel and I'm sleeping like in a, a hotel or somebody else's house because I just don't know what the light situation is going to be like. And um, that's definitely helped with the, uh, yeah, the jerking awake. 
Awesome. Yeah, Aaron, I think you just mentioned like falling. Mm-hmm. Was the, Yeah, that's mine. Yeah, I, I, I remember that, that a few too. times. I get falling and I'm just like, I wake up. I was like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It I really does. That. That's good to know there's a term for that. I had no clue. That was just yeah. a random question that came to my head. Um, I know something. I, I listened to your episode recently that you guys did on sleep trackers. That seems to be something that most people just have these days, whether it's part of their fitness trackers, Apple watches or whatever. Now we get all this information based on sleep. Um, I want to know what are we supposed to do with it? And two, do you have any sleep trackers that you would actually recommend? Yeah, I think it's so hard. Like in today's world, we have so much data. Like you can track anything now. Like you can, mm-hmm. there's a tool to track everything in your life. And there are, that's a good thing and that's a bad thing. Like th- those are great tools and we can get a lot of use out of them, but they can also be, I think, very detrimental for some people. I think when it comes to like tracking sleep, it is a great tool for, for people to know like what their baseline is. So we'll, we have both an aura ring is what we use to track our sleep. And it's a good tool that you can use for, you know, three months and see, okay, this is my baseline. This is what I typically get. This is kind of my breakdown of deep REM and light sleep. Uh, This is roughly how many hours I sleep. This is what my efficiency is. Knowing those numbers is is a great tool. But I think a lot of people can get into this habit of like needing to track that religiously, like every morning, like, oh, I didn't hit my my eight hours or I didn't get a good ratio of deep to light sleep. And that can cause like stress, anxiety, Uh, just you can become obsessed with that. And I think if that is kind of your style to where you do become obsessed with the numbers and having to hit your goal, I think that's where these trackers can get um, dangerous and kind of have almost the opposite effect of what their original intended intended purpose is. So I think if like tracking is your thing, then like just just be careful of not needing to like obsess over that data. Just check it like every so often, making sure you're on track. Um, another point off of that is with the data that we get, I think something else that is good to answer is like, is this data actually useful? You, you said like, what am I supposed to do with that data? A lot of the data we we get is informative, but it's like, okay, are you actually going to change your behavior based upon that data? So on our Aura Ring, we get a lot of different stats, but for most of them, it's like, okay, that's an interesting tidbit. Like it shows our respiratory rate, how many times we breathe per night. It's like, that's interesting. It's 13.6 one night, 13.8 another night. But like, what am I going to do with that data? I'm not going right. to actively really make any changes based upon that data. Um, so I think if, if the data is not something you can act like you're going to shift your behavior for, then it's really probably not worth tracking. It's not worth your time, your effort or money to track that. But if it's something that you see a stat and it's like, okay, I need to change my behavior. Then at that point, I think it would be worth tracking. And I think sleep is, is one specifically that's, that's worth tracking. Just don't get, don't be obsessive with it. I think just tr- checking in every few weeks, every few months to make sure that your trend is good, I think is really enough for, for most people. Yeah. And I think you can kind of toy, it allows you to toy around with some things like, like for instance, for me, I know if I take me magnesium before bed, like that increases my REM sleep. And so I was able to just tweaking around with that. I was able to figure that out. Um, you know, temperature, like if you can figure out if, yeah, like Aaron said, like if you're going to make 
decisions about how to how to change behavior from that data, then I think it's good. Like working out, for instance, like some days I'll look at that. I got terrible sleep. I'm not going to push myself hard today. Like I will use that to determine like how much weight I'm going to lift, you know, in, in a given workout. Like if I know I didn't sleep well, I'm going to take it back a few notches. So I think I think that's useful, but you can become obsessed with it. Like I actually had a buddy. I mean, poor guy, he he tried everything. He had this this ring, the aura ring that we have, and he became kind of obsessed with it. And to the and, and like no matter what he tried, he felt like he couldn't get his like sleep score up. He eventually just said, I'm I'm done looking at it. And he said after that, he actually felt like he got like the best sleep he ever got. <laughs> and I think I I genuinely think that like him stressing about it like impacted his sleep when then when he stopped thinking about it, he actually ended up getting good sleep. Um, yeah, I can yeah. see that because I relate that now I'm, I've been seeing a nutrition coach for the last I don't know, four or five months or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we use the fitness pal to track calories, carbs, protein, all that kind of stuff. And my first, I'd say a couple of weeks, I was like, um, but I made sure I hit this certain amount of calories that you told me to hit, which is at the end of the day, you're not looking at the numbers. If, if you're hungry, eat, if you're right. not, don't eat, you know? Right. So it reminds me of that kind of like, don't just stare at the numbers and try to hit this. Right. If, if you're right. not tired, get up and go do something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. Um, and there are, there are some good ones out there. So you, you asked about specific trackers. So the Fitbit is a good one. Um, there's actually a guy on YouTube. Uh, I definitely recommend going to check him out. Uh, the name of the channel is the quantified scientist and he, I think he's a sleep scientist It works in a sleep lab. So he has equipped, he has access to like high grade sleep tracking equipment, like professional grade. And he tested all these different sleep trackers and like the accuracy of them and all the data that they spit out. He has videos on like every sleep tracker out there. So definitely awesome. check that out. Um, from last time I checked a couple months ago, like the Fitbit was actually like the most accurate. Um, the aura ring was also, and they're, they're accurate at measuring like different things like sleep stages versus your total sleep time, your sleep efficiency, when you fell asleep, heart rate, but the, the, probably the top four, like the Fitbit, the Apple watch, uh, the whoop band, which is a subscription. I think you have to pay 30 bucks a month for that. And then the aura ring, which is literally just, it's, we, it replaces our wedding band. And it tracks our sleep, our heart rate, our our, fit, our activity. Um, we love it because it's just it's very it's non intrusive. You just it's literally on your finger, and it, it tracks everything. Um, so we we love that. It's also a great conversation starter when you tell people you your ring is your fitness tracker. They they love it. So yeah, those, <laughs> those are uh, those are some of our, our our top recommendations for sleep trackers. Here's the question for you is how does a ring and or a watch know you've gone into like deep sleep or REM sleep? What's it tracking to know that? I'm pretty sure it's uh heart rate and temperature, okay. right? Aaron, those are the yeah, two big things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the exact sensors there. I'm pretty sure it's those two. I, okay. I don't know confidently though. I think it, yeah, I that. think it measures like the finger and then the ones on your wrist. I think it's measuring your, like your blood flow and your pulse, um, which gives you an indication of what sleep stage you're in. And then some of them tell temperature, like the aura ring tells temperature. Um, I'm not sure. Does the Apple watch tell temperature? 
I don't think so. I, I, I have the Series 5, and I don't believe it tells temperature. Okay. So I have the Series 5 as well. So here's a curiosity. Yeah. I don't track my sleep at all because that's when I let my my watch charge overnight. Yeah. yeah. How, are you, how are you tracking your sleep with the Apple Watch? Is it built in now, or is it like a third-party app I have to download? Yeah, so it is built in now. I actually did a, an experiment where I – so I have the Aura Ring, which is my primary sleep tracker, but I did an experiment where I wore the watch and the ring um, in – for like a week straight to see how it compared it was it was some nights it was like right on and other nights it was like off by like 30 minutes i think it'll give you a good general range of just it it does not break down sleep stages it only tells you total sleep so i think it'll be ballpark close um but yeah there is i think you set it up somehow you go into the settings and you can set up like a sleep schedule and then at that point it becomes automatic but once you have to set set it up first and then it, it is an automatic thing at that point Okay. I'm going to take a look into that because now that we're talking about this, you know, I kind of want to do what you just said is kind of like get some numbers, use it mm-hmm. as a base and have an idea of how well yeah. I'm doing. So maybe I'll start charging it before about and actually wear it. And- it doesn't, it doesn't take up that. I think they keep the, the screen goes like really dim and I don't think it uses a ton of battery. I think if you have it at, I think they say if you have it charged to 30%, okay, then it'll, it, it has enough to track your sleep that night. Awesome. Cool. I'll give that a shot for sure. I should be, you know, getting some data because I don't consider myself a great sleeper at all. So there's probably things I can do. And Andy, I know you just mentioned magnesium. Um, yeah. Is there, so go into that if you'd like. And is there any other supplements and or like vitamins or things we can take before we go to sleep to enhance our sleep? Yeah. Um, a lot of the sleep supplements um, contain like the, the, the more natural sleep supplements, not... Um, you know, not prescription grade sleeping pills, uh, contain tryptophan. I mentioned that, that, that can help you sleep and magnesium supposedly how it works and how it helps you sleep is it helps, um, convert it. I think it helps, it helps your body convert five HT, which is in, which is in magnesium to, um, to tryptophan. Hold on. I got that wrong. It, I, I can't remember how I can't remember exactly. I, I, I knew when we, when we prep for that, for that episode, but it basically helps your body more efficiently produce, um, tryptophan, which is going to help your body produce, uh, more melatonin. So one of the most absorbable yeah. forms of that is, uh, magnesium glycinate. There's, there's multiple forms of magnesium. Glycinate is one torate and aspartate. I believe those are the ones that are more absorbable. Then there's like sulfate carbonate um gluconate oxide i don't know if i hit on all i think there's eight of them um but yeah so the the more absorbable ones are obviously going to help you more with sleep so i take magnesium glycinate i take around 400 milligrams each night and that seems to get me drowsy after i don't know one to two hours and um yeah I, i don't know i noticed that it just increases my REM. like i it's weird i dream more when I take magnesium, like I, that's very, been very noticeable. So magnesium is one. Um, that's the biggest one I've, I've you, I use regularly. Another one is valerian root. And, um, that's, that's an herb that's been referred to as nature's Valium has some, has some calming effects. Um, apparently it works on the brain similar to the way that Valium and Xanax works on the brain. And there's actually a decent amount of like human trials on that. I mean, small trials, 
But um, yeah, the, the general consensus with that is that it's a it's a good low risk alternative to things like prescription anxiety medications or sleeping pills. Sounds like similar to lavender, if you've heard of that. I know some yeah, people spray yeah. like lavender on their pillow or lavender oil and stuff like that. Have you tried that or know anyone that has? I no, um, I've I've done it by like my, my bed. I've yeah diffused lavender essential oils. I don't do it regularly, but that definitely has like some calming effects for sure. So can you go into depth on melatonin and how that works? Because I feel like people misunderstand what melatonin is and how it works. Yeah. So I mean, melatonin, like I mentioned, it's um, it's naturally produced by the body. It's it's what helps us get drowsy and, and fall asleep. And you know, there are certain things that we can do to uh, to naturally produce melatonin, like temperature or or um, light like blue light suppresses melatonin so like turning out the lights or or reducing um, your room lights to something more dim that can help with melatonin production i mean that's naturally how our body why our our you know our bodies produce melatonin like because it's if you look at before we had lights before we had temperature control that is th those were the sleep triggers was basically like temperature and light and so mm -hmm. that's what our body's used to um to doing uh, and that that's those are really kind of what trigger melatonin. I mean, you can get it from certain foods. Like I think tart cherries are pretty high in melatonin. Um, but generally, we we produce it naturally. Now, what a lot of people do is they basically forego all the things that that would allow our bodies to produce natural melatonin, like shutting off screens or or using blue light filters on screens. Um, you know, not cooling their body down before bed, which I know that one's a little tough, but screens are the biggest one. People are on their screens all day and then uh, their melatonin is suppressed and then they take a melatonin supplement to to get drowsy, which it's a, I mean, it's way better than like the, the sleeping pills. But I think you can get kind of dependent on it. And a lot mm -hmm. of people like to jack up the dosage more and more. And uh, the, the, the dosage that you find at the store is generally between three and five some people will get up to like 10 15 but they've actually done research and the optimal dose for sleep is just 0.3 milligrams like if you are going to take it like a very small dose to actually get that drowsy effect but again i think first priority for me personally would be to to try to these other things that can allow my body to naturally produce it so i i don't become dependent on um, the supplement version of it if that makes sense that's great information. And you guys just mentioned um, something that I do every night. It's my guilty pleasure. I have a TV on and I fall asleep to that. So you guys yeah. are laughing. Hey, How... I mean, if you fall asleep to it, apparently it's not disrupting you too much. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good because I was going to ask you how big of a deal and how bad that is for me because it is decently bright. It's a big, big screen TV, mm -hmm. but I do love watching my sports before bed. Um, I'll be honest, I get sucked into Monday Night Football, so I don't fall yeah, asleep yeah. until midnight or whatever. But there's shows I just put on to turn my mind off just to watch mindlessly. And I do fall asleep to it pretty easily, but I put a sleep timer on for maybe like an hour, hour and a half or something okay, like that. Yeah. Um, how big of a deal is that? Because you do hear what you just said is like having a screen on before bed is just terrible for you. Yeah, if you're falling asleep pretty quickly, like maybe it's not having a massive impact on you personally. I'd be interested to see if you were to track your sleep 
on your Apple Watch, like do basically your normal routine for a week just to get like a baseline and then try sleeping without the TV on. Maybe have like just the noise going if that's possible and like have the screen like dimmed and see how it, that impacts your total sleep time. Um, I mean, if it's not impacting you, your fault, like that's the biggest, I guess, issue with blue light is it suppresses melatonin levels. So you're not as sleepy. So it takes you longer to fall asleep. Um, it can have a little bit of impact on you staying asleep. So if you do wake up a lot like earlier in the night, then maybe that is part of the reason is that um, your, your melatonin is not fully kicked in until two hours into the night. So, hmm. um, but if you're falling asleep, like right away and you're staying asleep, then maybe for you personally, it's not having a, a massive impact. So it sounds like you just gave me some homework. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. yes. that's actually a great idea to use my Apple watch as a tracker and now try with the TV and without the TV and see the difference. That's wonderful. I'm going to do an episode on that. I'm really going to do that and see how it works for me. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear about that. Cause one of my biggest, um, I'll say issues is, is I am a light sleeper. I really don't feel like I get enough deep sleep and probably REM sleep. Um, I hear a lot of noises, mm -hmm. not necessarily from the TV, but just if, if anything makes a noise, if my dog moves or whatever, like I hear it, yeah. which to me is kind of like as a safety feature, it's great. But as like, if I really want to get a good, nice sleep, it really sucks that I hear just stupid things throughout the night. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's tough. Cause I mean, I, I, yeah, it is a good thing because, like, you want to be able to hear things. If someone's breaking into your house, like, you want to be right. able to hear that. Um, what I like to do is um, I, we, I feel very safe where we live. I don't, I don't feel scared, but, like, we don't have a security system. So I'll lock the bedroom door, and then we turn a fan on that's really loud. So mm -hmm. it really blocks out the sound. It's a, pretty, it's a loud fan. So it's just basically this overpowering white noise that just kind of drowns out all other noise. Um, so that's kind of what works for me. And I know white noise and different types of, you know, pink noise and brown noise or different types of noise. You can get apps on your phone and just crank up the volume all the way. I know that is a lot of people have good luck with that drowning out other sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, it all depends where you live. If you're living in like the middle of the city, then there's, there's just some sounds that you're probably not going to be able to drown out or sirens go by, go by. There's some things that you just can't, um, drown out, but doing like white noise machines or really loud fans are a good way to kind of drown out a lot of those small noises that might wake you up in the middle of the night. Yeah. I've been trying to look into that. I just honestly keep putting that off, but I really should look into some kind of a white noise. Um, I'm loving this podcast because you guys do a great job of mixing the actual science behind things, but also just kind of easy tweaks that people can do to their life to make their sleep and life's a hell of a lot better yeah thanks no i mean the information is only only good if if people can actually use it to better themselves so exactly well the thing is, is you guys give great information but you also explain how it works but then it's like here's how to apply it you know so here to make it easy this is what you can do and like you just said put a fan on mm -hmm. you know start i mean some people obviously know that but some people might not be yeah, like yeah. that's a great idea i'll install a fan and who knows, maybe that'll help them sleep. And then the temperature goes down and they're sleeping better Exactly. Yeah. for a few reasons. Yeah. Um, I, I know I only had you guys for probably so much longer, but I want to ask you a couple other questions. Um, do you have any opinions and or knowledge on mattresses as far as like which ones may be the best and which ones to stay away from? I don't know. I don't have any like specific brands I can 
shout out one way or the other but i think just i think in general like don't be afraid to splurge on a mattress i mean you that's the like single thing you use most in your house like that you use that more than anything you own is your mattress you're on there eight hours a night hopefully every single day like there's nothing else you use more than a mattress and with how important it is for your sleep like it's not something you should skimp out on so i'd say that's number one obviously if you can afford it don't make poor financial decisions but don't choose a big screen tv over a mattress like a mattress is extremely important um one thing in terms of types of mattresses to buy i can kind of speak to that is there are very popular these days is getting just a mattress shipped to your house in a box and then opening it because it's a foam mattress that can condense it you just cut it open and boom you have a mattress you can get them from amazon within two days you have a brand new mattress but these are these are foam mattresses which is not always a bad thing but with foam mattresses compared to your traditional like spring mattress is that foam retains a lot of heat um it's so dense and it just holds in heat whereas a spring mattress has a lot more air in there a lot more airflow so you will notice a big difference and i noticed this i had a spring mattress i switched to a foam and then i went back to a, a spring hybrid is because the the just strict foam really condensed like held a lot of heat in and i would feel that like i would sweat almost every night on that foam mattress so that if you are a hot sleeper if you tend just to overheat at night um then i would i don't know just watch out for the foam mattresses it might not keep you as cool as you'd like there are uh spring hybrid mattresses so it's still a spring mattress spring mattress but it's like coat the springs are coated in a foam so you still get the airflow but it's um you kind of it feels more like a foam mattress to your body yeah. but you still have a little bit more airflow so i don't yeah i can't speak to any specific brands in general but just kind of a be that's a kind of a disclaimer around those foam mattresses that you buy and that's 100 percent right because i remember i got one of those foam mattresses you're talking about probably about a decade ago mm-hmm. and the first thing i noticed is i was just sweating yes. every night yeah. and all the night i was like this feels super comfortable but man <laughs> i am not sleeping well that's yeah. actually in the guest room now i got a different one yeah, so exactly yeah. happened to me yeah i got a um my parents got me uh, a few years back a sleep number for uh, oh, a Christmas that's what I gift, have. and okay. yeah, you like it overall. I I really yeah. like it. I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, no, it's nice because I mean, you can tweak it. You know, that was the one problem. Like my wife and I got a new mattress like uh, a couple years ago, but then you're stuck with that. Like if it, if it just doesn't, like we we were on it for because they give you 100 days. We're like, all right, let's let's try this out, and we kept it for like six months. And then we're like, this sucks. Like neither of us are sleeping well on it. With the sleep number, you know, you can tweak it to mm-hmm. until you find a good setting for you. So yeah, I, I think it works well. Awesome. Yeah. So we can both attest the sleep number, passing the test. Yeah. Um, so here's another question for you. I know you had said something about temperature and sunlight for waking up. Those sound like the best options to wake up. What are other good options as far as waking up? Because I'm pretty sure we all hate setting that damn alarm and just <laughs> jerking us to sleep or to uh, wake up. Yeah, I think I, ideally you wake up to your body's internal clock. I think that's like the best case scenario. Um, if you really get like one of the best things you can do for your sleep, just in general to be able to fall asleep, flat, fall asleep fast, to be able to stay asleep is to make sure your sleep schedule is consistent from 
from Monday through Sunday the entire week. Instead of having like Monday through Thursday, you go to bed at 10 o'clock, but then the weekend you go to bed at 2 o'clock. That's going to throw off your body's internal clock. And it really messes up your 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 sleep schedule. It messes up how at what time you get tired. It messes up how well you stay asleep through the night. So one of the best things you can do is, at, no matter what night it is, weekday, weekend, is to go to sleep and wake up at the same exact time. And if you do that for long enough, your body will just naturally wake up at the same time every single day. And now you probably want to set some type of safety alarm still so you don't oversleep if you have to be in the office at, at a certain time. But for me, I am, I'm working from home. I don't have to be, you know, in the office at, a, at an exact time. So throughout this past year, it's kind of been a, a, year, a year long experiment with this is I've been basically just waking up on my own. I, I don't use an alarm clock anymore. I typically go to bed around the same time. Um, it depends. I mean, in the summer with it being light now, it's a little bit later, but I typically go around between 10 and 10:30, and then my body just wakes up at between six and seven depending on the day and it's just i've been in that routine for so long that my body is just used to it so that's kind of my body's internal clock and if i am feeling bad or if my body needs extra sleep it'll just sleep in a little bit longer so i think that is really the best way to wake up is listening to your body um and that to do that, you have to get on a schedule and do it consistently. Now, if you if you can't do that, if you have to wake up at a specific time, um, light, yeah, light is a great thing. Temperature is a great thing. Um, nobody wants to wake up to an alarm, but I think that's kind of uh, a good backup plan is to wake up to an yeah. alarm. That's cool. I actually want to give that a shot because, I don't know, for the longest time I can remember, I wake up to go to work and it's... The first thing I do is tell my alarm clock to shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's how I start my day yeah. every day. It's like, yeah. shut the hell up. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to give you guys some, some more props here too. Um, because this is reminding me two years ago, I actually went to a sleep doctor mm. and I just wanted to get an idea of how I can get more deep sleep. And what I'll say is I've learned more on this podcast than spending the $400 out of pocket talking to that guy. Yeah. Uh, not that he didn't know what he was doing. It just didn't really, it wasn't super helpful. But the one thing he did say was consistency was very mm-hmm. important. Going yeah. to bed at a specific time and waking up at the same time will help your body. He also mentioned the fact that he also said, what I'm kind of terrible because I watch TV was kind of like when you go to bed, go to bed. Instead, don't go to bed and like stay on your phone and watch mm-hmm. TV and because your body is going to associate your bed as a place where you're actually doing work and your mind is running instead of your place of rest. Right. So I don't know if you've heard anything about that, but it just kind of brought back memories. Yeah, that's something I, I definitely have heard. Um, basically, keeping the room only for sleep and don't sit on your phone in bed. Don't read in bed. Don't watch TV in bed. Just do that outside on a chair and then when you're ready to fall asleep go into your bed and just fall asleep that way your mind will associate that with sleep i don't take that extremely like strict i mean i I don't have a tv in my room so all that i do before bed would be to like read a book or i try not to be on my phone but i i am sometimes i'll just put a a filter on my screen so there's no blue light but um i i have heard that i haven't experimented with it too much um but i think i think there's some legitimacy to that 
So you just mentioned fill up your eye on your screen. I feel like this would be a great nugget for everyone to hear. So what yeah. do you guys do to your cell phones at night before you go to bed? Because let's be real. We all know we shouldn't be on them, but we all are right. on them. So right. what do you do about that? I'm yeah, there's a pull. Yeah, go ahead. While you're, while you're pulling that up. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I love it. Because I, I mean, I still am on my phone in the evening, but you can still do that without getting the detriments of the blue light. And I think if people have an iPhone, they probably know the night shift. And a lot of people turn that on. They're like, well, I use the night shift. I'm fine. Well, the truth is with that, like a lot of the blue light is still coming through. Um, it's better than nothing. It is blocking some of the blue light, but there's actually another setting in iPhone where you can eliminate all the blue light coming through. So Aaron, you want to talk through how to do that? Yeah, so the, the 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 night shift basically just turns your screen orangish as the night goes on, whereas this is something completely different. It literally turns your screen like red, like red red. You don't see any color, um, and you can just Google this like iPhone red screen. But I'll I'll just read it off here quickly. It's awesome. This is great because I thought night shift was good enough, and let's be real, most people probably thought yeah, night shift was yeah, good yeah, enough. No, this this is. <laughs> much better than night shift i definitely yes. recommend doing this so you go into your set this is on iphone only so go yeah. into your settings in accessibility and then display and text size color filters color tint and then in there you're going to increase the intensity and the hue there's kind of like a, a slider bar for intensity and hue slide those all the way up and at that point you're going to see your screen go red so then back out of that page back out of accessibility and then within there there's something called accessibility shortcuts and then in there click uh, color filter so then you're going to go to your home screen and if you triple tap the home button or if you have yeah if you have like an iphone 8 or earlier triple tap the home button iphone 10 or later triple tap the home or the power button and basically you set a shortcut to where triple tapping that button will just activate the red screen and then triple tapping again will turn it off so you can just turn off hell? night shift i mean you can keep it on if you want i guess but i don't keep i have night shift turned off and then i just use this so at around sunset or just when i feel like i want to avoid blue light i'll just triple tap it and just the red screen and that's kind of my my screen setup for the rest of the night that's a that's a nugget right there those are the nuggets i was hoping for you guys what the hell man because that's something everyone can apply to our lives and yeah wow they freaking bury that and they have something called no, night shift which doesn't even do the job what? I yeah i try to i try to tell people this like if we're you know sitting around i'm like okay have you everyone's like oh yeah i use night shift it's like no no, no check this out this is actually pretty cool another another oh, thing shit. that you can do um because that's your phone but you know obviously the tv screen and even like the the living room lights can suppress melatonin production. So one thing that we have, I don't have it here, but um, no, I don't. It's um blue light blocking glasses. Have you seen those? Okay, I've um, heard, yeah, I've heard of them. So uh, yeah, there are these glasses with a deep like orange tint, and okay. now there are glasses. I mean, uh, if you go to the eye doctor, they probably say, oh, blue light blocking technology. Well, these ones. Again, block out all blue light. You can get those. Um, Swanwick or Swanny is a is a version you can get on Amazon for like seventy bucks. Now there's a lot of orange tinted glasses on Amazon. A lot of those don't block the blue light. They're just tinted orange. These ones actually block the blue light. 
Um, the ones that we have are raw optics, RA optics. They're a little pricier, um, but th they're awesome. Like I'll put it on, you know, two or three hours before bed. And, and I, it legitimately feels like I took a melatonin supplement. Like by the time I get in bed at night, after having those on for about three hours, I'm drowsy. Um, so that, but that way I can still watch TV. I can still keep my lights on. I don't have to shut the whole, you know, the whole place down at like seven o'clock. I can still look at my phone, but I'm all protected, you know, from the blue light. Cause I got the glasses on. So those have been probably one of my favorite and most consistently used, um, little hack to help with sleep. That's awesome. Okay. So it sounds like it's worth the value there. So here's a question for you. Is it, let's say I, I buy those glasses and I wear them for two or three hours, right? And then for five minutes before I go to bed, I take them off and check my phone. Did I just undo everything that I did or no. is that okay? <laughs> no, it, it, it takes a little while. I, uh, we've gotten that okay. question before. No, I mean, cause your body still at that point is like, is, has been producing melatonin. I mean, I think the longer you do it, it's time dependent. I'll just okay. say, yeah, it's time dependent. So I have my phone going on night shift, I believe at 930 every night, but I honestly feel like that's a guess. Do you guys have any information on as far as like when we should kind of start switching off of the blue light? I think a good rule of thumb is just like when the, when the sun starts to set. As the okay. sun is setting, um, that's when I, so I have also smart lights in my home. So I have like the Philips Hue smart lights. Mm. Um, that way I can dim those as well. So when the sun sets, or is at least setting, I'll turn that red screen on and then um, all of my home lights, so my living room lights, I'll dim those down to like 10%. So basically when the sun sets, that's kind of like the earth sign of like, it's, it's time to wind down, it's time to get sleepy and go to bed. Um, I try to match the, in, the lights on the inside of my home basically to outside. This is awesome. You guys like have such great hacks, which is what <laughs> I love. And, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like a lot, it sounds like a lot of information, a lot of things to buy, a lot of things to do. But one of the reasons I wanted to ask you straight up from the start was how important sleep was to us and how much it affects everything was to kind of show that all these little steps add up and they're so they worth do. it because mm -hmm. it affects every day, every decision you make, how you make your decisions, how you feel, how you react. So you guys have done a really, really wonderful job of explaining the importance and how you can alleviate any sleep issues or problems you might be having. So well, thank you. Yeah. Rock on. Questions. Yeah. You guys are, you guys are rock stars. I'm super happy that, that you came on with me. Like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to have you back on in the future. Cause there's so many topics I want to pick your brains on. Yeah. Um, but, no, this is a lot but, of fun. We, we appreciate it. I think we, we probably could talk for five hours no problem oh yeah oh yeah. for sure there's there's so many other subjects that i have interested yeah uh, interested in that you guys know about so we'll do it again sometime cool. hopefully sooner than later but before i let you go um you know it'd be a great time for any final advice for somebody who is looking to kind of change their sleep habits and then we'll get into pubbing where people can find you and listen to you as well all right I think uh, one of our our favorite quotes that we've kind of coined around sleep is is don't make sleep the plug of life. Like typically, people will you know they'll do their they have their eight hour work day, they work out, they eat, they have all these activities during the day, and then whatever time is left over, whatever time they happen to have left over is like oh I'll just use that time to sleep. Hmm. Like we need to shift our thinking and like no, I'm sleeping for eight hours tonight. Like that's not negotiable. And then everything else in the day, if I can fit it in, I'll fit it in, but I'm not giving up that eight hours of sleep. So don't make sleep the plug to life. 
prioritize getting your seven to nine hours of sleep every single night. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic advice. So, okay. So where can we hear you, find you, see you give, give us all the good stuff. Um, yeah. So our, our Instagram handle is health hacked. So we recently switched our Instagram handle. Um, obviously like the name of our podcast is lab rats podcast, but we also, um, recently started doing this weekly newsletter with, you know, you asked us like, where do we get all our health information? So we basically started taking everything that we're reading in a week and just synthesizing it down into like four to six, like interesting articles, taking the big, you know, takeaways from those studies, condensing them down into something that's very digestible. We throw in some humor, like it has some memes and, and gifts in there as well to make it entertaining. So it's a weekly newsletter, Friday mornings. Uh, it's called Health Hacked. You can go subscribe at healthhacked.com. It's hacked without an E because um, to pay for that E, it was like another 10 grand. So for the, the domain, <laughs> so we're like, you know yeah, what, save let's the just money. lob off the E. We'll be one of those companies that remo- randomly removes vowels for no reason. Um, or maybe this was the reason. No reason. That's an expensive yeah, yeah. reason. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'll link everything you, you're saying now and we'll say I'll have a link also as well okay. the, in the show notes. So people, okay. please scroll down. You can you can find everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so our goal with that and with Health Hack, the newsletter and the podcast is really just let's get through the the clickbait filter out the clickbait the um you know the the flashy headlines that really have no real substance and like let's get down to the science like what's actually happening here what what new research is being done that you can apply to your everyday life and so that's that's the purpose of everything we try to do we try to put out stuff on our instagram as well so that's at health hacked we recently got a twitter we're trying to figure out how to use that uh, and that's health hacked as well um, nice. Am I missing anything, Aaron? No, I think that's it. Yeah. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and healthhack.com. Most of our days or most of our time, we, we hang out on kind of Instagram. That's our, our main feed. Um, all with the handle healthhack, but then we have Lab Rats Podcast, which you mm-hmm. can get on the Health Act website still. All the episodes are there. And all the episodes are based on any podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that. Awesome. And I will say it's completely worth a follow. You guys have such great content. It's easy to intake. The clips are great to watch. The information is just very accessible. Um, we've gone over just a little bit here and you can tell all the things you can just apply to your life to make it better. And, you know, like my audience will love you and hopefully your audience will love me because yeah. there's a lot of yeah. uh, in- information that are kind of like, you know, they kind of cross. So yeah, yeah. I think um, so. yeah. Absolutely. You guys have a, have a great Instagram, great online presence. So please, people go check it out. It's awesome. And, and please subscribe to your podcast because, like I said, if you like listening to me, you guys, you guys will love listening to them. So thanks so much. Thanks. Thank yeah. We thanks so much. Really we really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Awesome. Well, hope to have you guys on soon and, and take care all the way from Charlotte and Indianapolis. All right. You bet. You right. too. Cool. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. How awesome are Aaron and Andy, really? They know their shit, which is exactly why I'm going to have that back on in the near future. That was such a great episode loaded with so much information. If you enjoyed this episode or any of my previous episodes, please subscribe. 
leave a review, hopefully a five-star review, so that way I can keep bringing you more wonderful and great content in future episodes. So I'll catch you next time on the Pursuit of Happiness podcast.